How do you get revival? It's so easy to look at God or, or, or watch other people looking at God and feel like you're looking through the window and it's uh, something for somebody else and it's something for uh, someone else to take hold of but it won't be for you. And it's, it's really easy for those who have experienced something of God to think that because that's how they've experienced it, that's how God's going to work for everybody else. And so it can become a very narrow journey. And I, I just want to encourage us today that God is, is, is a God who meets us where we are. Uh, he's passionate for revival, but you can't orchestrate revival. Uh, there have been revivals throughout history and those are, are particular moments in time. And I like that we had a quick, uh, well, a short conversation with Michael on Friday and he was talking, we were talking about awakening. Uh, revival's a buzzword and awakening might be a nicer word and I think they both are actually good words. And I think what Heather uh, you know, shared with the, about the youth on, on Friday night in a sense illustrates the essence of what I'm trying to say which is I guess there wouldn't have been kids singing in here if they hadn't organized a youth event. And if some people hadn't said we want to do this and they gathered kids together there wouldn't have been that moment at 2 o'clock in the morning. And my encouragement is that if we give God something to work with, then He surprises us. Um, and so we can be intentional about creating space for Him to, to work. And that's really what I want to talk about. The word revival, I'll just give you a dictionary meaning. It's from the Hebrew word chaya, means to bring back to life, to restore to consciousness, to restore to a previous condition. As used in the Bible, it means a restoration, rejuvenation, or renewal of interest after spiritual neglect, oblivion, or obscurity. It's not, e it's not difficult to work out what God wants to do. All you do is bring Him the stuff that isn't. So what are the symptoms that need revival? Anything that doesn't feel revived. So if you're sitting here this morning saying, God, I need you, he will just start talking to you about who you are and where you are. What would you like me to revive you in? Where are you lacking? Where are you empty? Where are you dry? What, do you, what don't you understand? What don't you see? What do you want? Think of sickness. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll read out some symptoms that need revival. Complacency. Secret sins unforgiveness, pride, powerless, scriptures dead, heart is numb, worship is boring, lack of concern for the lost and the poor, critical spirit to others, and you could go on. And when God shows us those things, he shows us them to say, I can revive that, I can renew that, I can, I can actually transform that. Paul said, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and le length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, for me, my passion, I think, is how do you make this accessible to everyone? How, how, do, how do you encourage somebody with no spiritual background to begin to have a taste for something of God? How do you walk together? And so, the word made flesh, 
I think is a key. Because you have in the Old Testament God speaking through the law and speaking through the prophets and speaking through individual people and then the word becomes flesh means God revealed himself in this person Jesus. Who, who have, we have this wonderful phrase, he said, he dwelt among us. And for 30 years he dwelt among us as us without any ministry. And then he was released as the Holy Spirit anointed him at his baptism as a human being to demonstrate the power of God in a human being in a beautiful way, in a powerful way that began to transform lives. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, John the Baptist announced him and said, prepare the way of the Lord and then Jesus uh, was revealed. And I want to suggest that there's a there's a pattern here. Um, I can say, Lord, send your fire. And I'm, please, I don't want to be misunderstood. I do not want emails after this. All right? I'm not the, I am not cynical about revival. I absolutely say bring it on. All right. So please don't send me an email about that. There's mystery to it. And I'm not for one moment going to try and crack open the mystery of it. Because all of us are going, why Lord? Why not? Why, why, why? I know at home, if I want a fire, I can say, Lord, bring the fire, or I can actually put the kindling in the thing. And what I'm talking about today is how do we set the fire, how do we set something so God can blaze it? Because God always works in partnership. And as I said last week, somebody said, you know, we're waiting for God to move, and what if he's waiting for us? And so when you see Jesus engaging with people, he's always meeting them where they are. The word becoming flesh, meeting them where they are and saying, who are you? How are you? Where are you? And as they engage, he begins to draw them into a place they never knew existed. Romans 5, 7 says, while we were still powerless, God came. I love that phrase. While we were still powerless, in other words, before we were aware of anything, God came. And when people encountered Jesus, they encountered somebody who opened their eyes to the, to the nature of God that they never had dreamed was possible because all they had in their paradigm was harsh religious teaching. And suddenly this man who was relational came into their eyesight, into their vision, into their experience, and they said, can this be? And the love of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus made them thirsty for more and they said, I want more. They didn't necessarily even know the words to put around their experience. And in God, you always find or very often find in spiritual truths uh, can springboard off the natural. The supernatural can springboard off the, the, the natural all the time. So we are body, mind and spirit. And I want to just explore what if revival looks like body, mind and spirit being transformed? What if body and mind and spirit is the way, the truth and the life? The way for the body to walk, the truth for the mind to think, the life for the spirit to come to. So I want to look at three things about transformation and revival that might be places where we can set the fire or set the kindling that says, God, if you, 
I, I want to offer you this so that you can do whatever you want. And the reason I'm trying to be kind of practical is because I think chasing after revival might be chase, like chasing after happiness or joy or love. If you try and chase after those things, you very seldom catch hold of them. But if you pay attention to relationship or you pay attention to obedience, you pay attention to other things, those come. So my suspicion is, as we actually enter into all that God has for us on earth as in heaven, we might be surprised with revival. Because Jesus said we need to go out into the world. He commissioned us to go out into the world to make disciples. So I'm going to take body, mind and spirit and suggest the body is about how we live this earthly life. So one of the places God might speak to us is how we live this earthly life in our relationships. He says, how can you love God if you don't love one another? Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for a friend. So Jesus was the Word made flesh and He lived among us. We read in Philippians how He laid down all His riches and He became as one of us. And so part of the work of God's Spirit in our lives is to cause us to come alive to the needs of those around us, cause us to care about those around us, cause us to come alive to the relationships we have. Since children have flesh and blood, it says in Hebrews 2, He too shared in our humanity. And there are lots of verses that speak about this love of God that came into our frame of reference. That's what I'm talking about. The Word became flesh and lived among us. And so one of the questions I want to consider for myself and that maybe you can consider is, so what are my relationships like? How am I living among the people around me? How am I living among the people with me? How am, I, how am I being presented to the people in my frame of reference? And how are you? That's not a condemning word because I'm wanting to say, Lord, will you revive and renew and refresh my relationships where they don't reflect you? How, how am I the word made flesh to those around me? How do I serve them? How am I a friend? How am I a friend before they know something? How am I a friend when things are broken? How am I a friend when things aren't going right? How am I a friend when things are going right? Because one of the most compelling things about Jesus on earth as in heaven was the way he was a friend, was the way he was with people. And Jesus had these discussions because, you know, friends, being friends with people helps them make sense of things that, they don't, that don't yet make sense. So, I'm a friend when somebody says, I don't even understand this God you believe in. Can I have conversations that help them understand? Or can I serve them in some way? Or I can, who knows, be a friend in a variety of ways. I was... Um, I came across this uh, note yesterday, actually, from Cape Town. A guy called Pete Portal wrote it. 
And he's a, he's a pastor who went with his wife from London to Cape Town to, build a, to, to found a church in a place called Mannenberg. I used to do veterinary clinics in Mannenberg 35 years ago. We took a mobile truck in and looked after animals. And it was, it was a fairly r- risky place then. Now it has become very notorious for gang warfare and a lot of violence. And it's not a good place to go. And I'm sort of intrigued that a guy would give up London for Mannenberg. And he wrote this, he said, A few months ago at a community outreach event in Mannenberg, I prayed for a 17-year-old boy. He was a Muslim, but said he wanted to follow Jesus. I prayed with him and we hugged as he made a faith commitment. I felt a great affection for him and wanted to make sure we had a plan in place for him to be discipled and supported in his new life. As we were chatting, he told me he was addicted to crystal meth, was part of a hard-living gang. We spoke about him coming into the house that we have for guys just like him. The next week, I met up with him. He was high, surrounded by his gang friends, had just got a gang tattoo and didn't want to chat. He was a completely different person, unrecognizable to the friendly, bright-eyed kid I'd met the week before. My heart sank. As his gangster friends listened, he told me he wasn't interested in changing his life. His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. Last night, which is Thursday last week, I got word that this young man was shot and killed on Thursday night. He's dead. Another statistic in the mounting death toll in Manenberg. I'm angry, sad and confused. Lots of questions about the nature of life and death, faith and salvation, despair and hope. But today I choose to press on. I choose to affirm that there is a truth that supersedes mere facts. That truth, that way, that life is none but Jesus Christ. The one who assures us that whilst we still have troubles in this world, he himself has overcome them all. And it just seemed to me a very sad and vibrant testimony to what it means for the word to become flesh. That in this world there is real hardship and in this world when you open your hearts to people and you share Jesus or you share your life, there are times where it is bloody painful. And it doesn't make sense. And yet, that's what Jesus calls. And so Pete Gregg, the guy who wrote um, Messy, what's it called? Um, I can't remember the the prayer diary. He, He responded to this guy and he says, Pete, well done. Thank you for choosing fellowship in Christ's sufferings. Another thief, another cross, the same Christ, this very day, dot, 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 which is you will be with me in paradise. And I just believe with all my heart that the world, and even the Christian church, even you and me, we need friends. We need people to be flesh in our lives in the good and the bad and the ugly, prepared to pay the cost, prepared to take the risk, prepared to be present, whatever. And I think as we give ourselves to one another, as we give ourselves to people, when the times are good as well as when the times aren't so good, God's Spirit anoints those times and you never know what can come out of that. Because Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. So, sometimes people aren't believing because we don't give them time. Just be friends. Just be yourself. 
Every single person here, God can use you absolutely as you are. With all your failures, with all your strengths, with all nothing. Just as you are, somebody will be encouraged through you. Somebody will be blessed through you. Just be nice to people. So, I think one of the little fire starters for me in revival is the relationship side. How do we turn up for one another? How do we walk alongside one another? How do we persevere with one another? Before we are perfect or before they deserve what we have to offer. Does that make sense? So being renewed in our relationships, being renewed in the way we show up in life is one area. The other one is being renewed in our mind, which is our thinking. Graham Cook is very good on this. Some of you have been listening to Graham Cook. He's very good on this in terms of how do you live your life? How much is your life with negative thinking? And I love his phrase that says, if you don't like the thought you've just had, why don't you change it and get another thought? What's your thinking like? The truth. The way, the truth, and the life. The truth about how we think about ourselves. How we think about other people. How we think about our lives. That God is for us, not against us. That you are actually somebody who He delights in. You are His son or His daughter. You go, well, I don't feel it. Doesn't make it not true. How do you think about life? How do you think about God? How do you think about your circumstances? How do we learn how to live from a place of hope and expectancy? How do you take every thought captive? Does God need to revive and renew and uh, refresh our minds and the way we think? Do we live in a state of despair or do we live in a place of hope? It's why we need one another to press into these things. Because sometimes it's hard to be encouraged. And Jesus had to work with his disciples. This changing of thinking didn't just happen. When they were anointed and they had healed some people, you remember they walked past the Samaritan village and uh, James and John said, let's burn them because they wouldn't let us come in. They weren't hospitable and Jesus said, no, 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 no. You've got the authority you have but you've got the wrong way of using it. They had to learn. Peter argued with Jesus about what he was doing, where he was going to the cross. He had to learn that, that, that his thinking was not always what Jesus was thinking. And so do we. We have to learn Jesus' ways and our ways. I was listening to somebody the other day and I put their, their video on Facebook, if anybody's interested, which demonstrates this thinking. We often talk about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like. And this woman is, a na- is Dr. Christina Cleveland. She's a social psychologist, doctor from the States and she was talking at uh, an event on justice and she was talking about how you read the scriptures and how Jesus actually related to people and what the kingdom of God looks like and she told the story about when Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who owns a farm and he, he goes out and he comes out in the morning and the guy's looking for work and he gives them work and he says, I'll pay you a denarii, a fair wage for day. 
and they're great and they go and work. And he comes back again and he finds more people looking for work and he says, I'll pay you a denarii, go in and work. And he comes in at midday and the same thing happens and he comes halfway through the afternoon and the same thing happens and he comes just before closing time, the same thing happens and he pays the same wage to everyone. But her take on it was interesting. She said, who do you think got called the first time, got employed the first time? It was the people who looked like they were strong, they could do a good day's work. They were the people who were maybe the best in line and they get hired. And each time he comes, he finds less and less of the quality of person you would want to work until the last, maybe, who knows who they are, the last to be employed. Maybe they're the addicts. Maybe the ones who can't hold a job together. Maybe they're the ones who are whatever. And he says, I'll give you a day's wage, go in. And when he pays them, the ones who were employed in the morning were very indignant and said, how dare you give those people the same wage as we have and we've been slaving all day. And he says, can't I be generous? He says, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And he ends up by saying, friends, Your greatest privilege is to be last. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. So the people with privilege and the people with degrees and the people with all kinds of influence are sometimes going to be behind the ones who have nothing. What's that like? So even when we were talking about how do we fund and support the Oersthazens, one of the things that comes up is, well, why don't they work more? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? You said, but what if the kingdom doesn't work like that? What if God's generosity is such that he just says, they've gone to Haiti when they come back, I'd like to give them three months' wages so they don't have to stress. Just wondering. God's ways are not our ways. And God's kingdom, we ask for God's kingdom, but God's kingdom when applied in our lives often offends us. She talks about, I really encourage you, go to my Facebook page and look at this half hour talk. It's it's so refreshing. It was like fresh dough, like fresh bread for me, my spirit. I just said yes. She talks about, uh, you know, Jairus' daughter. Jairus is well... He's an affluent guy. He's, he's, he's got status. And he comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is dying. And Jesus says, I'll come because he likes the poor and the rich. You know, he doesn't discriminate. And he's on the way to Jairus' daughter. And that woman touches him who's bleeding for 12 years. And I've never thought of it like this. I just found it so refreshing. And she said, this woman probably stank. She was probably homeless. She was unclean. She was penniless. She probably looked a mess. She was nothing. Jairus was everything. And in our culture, Jairus is called, leave her, I don't have time for you. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And everybody says, everybody's touching you. He said, no power's left. I know somebody's been healed. And this miserable woman, who everybody has no time for, Jesus has time for. And Jairus the important one with the influence is going, my daughter's sick and you're wasting time on her. And Jesus, without saying anything, is saying, but this is what God does. He notices the weak and the broken and the lonely and he stops for them. 
And Jairus, like all the rest of us, go, but what about me? And Jesus lets him wait and listen to her telling her story. And then somebody comes up and says, Jairus, it's too late. He's de- your daughter's dead. And like many of us, we go, I, if only you hadn't done that, this might have been better. And Jesus is able to say, don't worry. I have time for you as well. How do you change your thinking? That God's ways aren't my ways. It's, it rolls off my tongue so easily. But how does it translate into how I think? How does it translate into my relationships? In a way that actually gives God something to work with, to say, this bears witness to me. See, if you want to see God working in your life, just start where you are. Just give Him your relationships. Let Him show, go through your relationships and just say, let me talk to you about them. Because He's not condemning us. He's just saying, I can revive this. Let me talk to you about your thinking. How did you come to this conclusion? What are you thinking right now? Why are you thinking that? Let me revive that. Because as you allow me to work with you where you are, you will see something greater take place. And finally, you know we talk about, we are, you know, we often uh, explain our differences. Well, we, we're different and God likes diversity. So you say, I'm not like that or I'm not like that. And Paul says, well, the bo- we may, we're, we're like one body. Well, there's a hand and there's a nose and there's a, you know, the feet and all the rest of it. And he says, but make sure that the foot doesn't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And in our culture and generation, it's really easy for us to say, I have no need of you. I have no need of you. The body of the mind and the spirit, the spirit is the heartbeat. And there's a, there's, a, there's a place where we need to nurture our spirits. Because the heart sends blood to all the extremities. The heart sends the life-giving blood to all the extremities. So in all the diversity, they all, they all, they all um, are dependent upon the heart and the blood supply. And so the foot, for the foot to be fully alive and the nose to be fully alive and the ears to be fully alive, they all need the heartbeat pumping blood to them. And what if our relationship with God is opening our heart to Him in worship? And that worship actually feeds all the other things. So in a sense it works backwards. I am the way, the truth and the life. Seek the life and the truth and the way will follow. And so it begins with this whole heartbeat, my heart that is open to God, that is open to Jesus, that says, Jesus, thank you for your unconditional love for me. So one of the ways we can ask God to examine us is what is our worship like? How do we experience worship? How do we express worship? How do we engage in worship? Have you tried anything different in the last five years relating to worship? Or have you stuck your, you know, your, your stakes in the sand 
and say, this is what I do and this is what I don't do. I hope you don't do that because that's really sad. I hope you're willing to say there's so much more. And one of the values that Jericho wrote is, how do we pursue worship while also giving people freedom to be authentic? So you don't have to be pressurized to do something, but you can be invited to learn how to do something maybe you never thought you would do. And the only way you can learn to grow in any of these areas is to begin to feel hungry or begin to feel, oh boy, I hope there's more than this. You see, if you want revival, I think you need to start with saying, what do I want to see revived? What would I like more of? I'd like more passion. I want more freedom in my expression. I want more faith to rise up for me to believe things that I don't yet see. I want to be able to take risks. I want to be able to be bold. I want to be able to walk alongside people who scare me to death. I want to be able to talk more freely about Jesus. I mean, there are thousands of things you could bring. And together, something begins to emerge out of a corporate hunger. For some, God's speaking to them about relationship, the body, the way you walk. For some, He's talking to you about the way you think. For others, He's talking about the way you worship or you just feed your spirit. And I believe His invitation to us this morning is just be open. And you'll have a season when it's your spirit and you'll have a season when it's your relationship and you have a season when it's your mind. And sometimes it'll feel like it's everything. And then you just relax into him and say, Jesus, here I am. Take me the next place. Take me the next way that you have for me. I think I'll stop there.